0: Passage open, John 4 verses 1 to 30. Our theme today is how to witness for Jesus like Jesus. How to witness for Jesus like Jesus. Well if you've attended any Christian camps or conferences over the summer, I'd imagine that at some point over the last few weeks you've seen a Christian bookstall. And quite possibly one of the larger sections of the bookstall has included books on the subject of evangelism or witness. Possibly you've read or seen books along the lines of how to be a better evangelist or 10 steps to sharing the gospel or something of that nature. And there are some great books to read on that subject and I'm sure many of us have been helped by one way, in one way or another by those books But it's also true that sometimes as Christians we can be guilty of overcomplicating things. We perhaps feel we're not particularly good at witnessing. It's been a long time since we've done it. Perhaps for some of us the tendency is to think, well, I should really read up on this first before I speak to anyone else. Uh, I need to get some tips on it. I need to make sure I get it right so that I feel more confident as I witness. Rather than turning first to a book, or to a human expert would we not be better to turn first to the master teacher and to the one who has sent us out as witnesses as we considered at the end of the month at the, sorry at the beginning of last month and as we hear what he has to say on this subject? And one of the ways to understand John chapter four is that it's a how-to for evangelism, a how-to provided by Jesus himself. I hope we have a concern to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. I hope we pray about it. We want to be better at it. I hope we're praying about who to invite to our meetings later this month or maybe to a guest service in the autumn. The truth is, though, that many of us do find evangelism daunting and difficult. But here in John chapter 4, Jesus, as it were, is coming alongside us and, and he's saying, just come with me. Just watch and listen And notice these very simple, doable steps that I take when speaking to unbelievers about me. It's interesting that we come to this passage, which I'd chosen to preach on this date many, many weeks ago. But we're coming to it after a week where Christians, and indeed many non-Christians, have been debating and discussing the rights and wrongs of what a Christian evangelist said and how he said it in Belfast last week. And rather than continuing to debate that for much longer, I want us to look and listen and learn from Jesus today, the, the master teacher, the perfect evangelist here in John chapter four and see what there is to learn from his witness. So let's notice first of all today, four things to notice about uh, Jesus uh, in this passage, how to witness ab- about Jesus and like Jesus. And the first of the four, the ordinary opportunity taken by Jesus. The ordinary opportunity taken by Jesus. We're told in verses 1 to 3 that Jesus at this juncture in his ministry decided to leave Judea due to the attention his ministry was receiving from the Pharisees. That's the the strict ultra-conservative religious or they like to think of themselves as religious men who often uh, made it their business to pick holes in what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus at this juncture moves away from them. But notice what it says in John 4 verse 4. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. And the Greek scholars tell us that there is extra emphasis there on the word had to. It's the same word used in John 3 verse 7 when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, there is there is no room for debate here. This is not something optional. It is a necessity. And for Jesus here, it was a necessity. He had to pass through, in, in the providence and plan of God, he had to pass through Samaria. We'll think more about the particular challenges that Samaria as a place brought up for Jesus in a moment. But uh, for now, just look at verse 5. It says, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Notice there, friends, the emphasis on Jesus' humanity. Uh, The word weary there means he was absolutely exhausted. He is worn out. By his work and by his travel. The same way some of you feel worn out after a day juggling the kids or hard labour on the farm or whatever it might be. Here is Jesus in his humanity, really feeling tired, really needing a drink. And the sixth hour of the day was midday, it's noon, the, the hottest part of the day. That's when Jesus arrives at this well. And that being the case, Jesus might have expected the well to be deserted. People didn't walk around with heavy water jars during the hottest part of the day. This is siesta time. This is nap time. Everyone's at home, or almost everyone. You get up again and you do the walking and the fetching and the working later when it cools down. And so Jesus might have expected at this juncture in the day to just get some peace and quiet. Maybe best case scenario, there is a Uh, A a spare water jar has been left near the well and Jesus might have been able to draw water and get a drink in peace. But look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus here, friends, sees an opportunity. Notice at first an opportunity simply for a conversation. Give me a drink. You couldn't get a more ordinary way to begin speaking to someone than that. I will see how it becomes more than a normal conversation in due course, but it begins as just a conversation. This woman has a jar, she's going to draw water, so Jesus asks her for a drink. He's thirsty, he's tired. He's not playing games here. He's not using some line that he read in some book. He's just being honest and engaging in conversation. He had to go through Samaria. We don't know how or why Jesus knew that he had to go through Samaria, but he did. He also had to get a drink. He's in the Middle East in the heat of the day. And so what a very ordinary but effective way to begin speaking to someone. And perhaps in due course then, speaking to them about the gospel. Where do you have to go this week or this month or in a month's time? What do you have to do? What's on your to-do list for August or September? Some of us, we have to go to work. We have to spend six to eight hours a day with colleagues, perhaps many of them non-Christian colleagues. Not every minute of every working day is an opportunity to hold a Bible study or to speak to someone about the Bible. Your first, your first priority, your, uh, the first thing you have to do at work is work. But there are plenty of opportunities, surely, to start conversations, to sow seeds that might lead to something else in future. Some of you have to spend a lot of time looking after children. And it's not just at family worship or Sunday school or a worship service that they can learn things about God or what the Bible says, what Jesus has done. You have opportunities. What? Uh, some American writers like to call teachable moments all throughout the course of a day to talk about such things. Mm-hmm. To show your children that your faith impacts all kinds of things, not just going to church, but going to the doctors or going to the park or whatever it might be. We have to go to appointments, we have to see the family members, have to get a haircut. Have to pick the kids up from school in a few weeks time. Sorry kids. These are the ordinary places we go. The ordinary routines of our lives. But they are opportunities that God has provided. And again it doesn't mean we have to walk straight up to colleagues or family members every single time. With five scripture verses ready to fire at them. That's not what Jesus did here. But it does mean friends that perhaps there are times when we do have to lay aside the excuses Get out of our comfort zone and speak. Some of you may have heard of Bethany Hamilton, a Christian professional surfer with an incredible story. If you don't know the story, I won't spoil it. You should go home and look it up. Hannah has been uh, reading a book written by her parents, by Bethany Hamilton's parents, which includes how they came to faith from uh, a life of loose living influenced by 60s and 70s liberalism. Uh, Bethany's father was uh, into surfing. He was talking one day to a, a surfer friend and he noticed that one of the stickers on the surfboard of his friend was a little fish. And he asked him what the fish meant and that led to a conversation about Christian faith and Bethany's father believed in the Lord Jesus Christ because his friend took an ordinary opportunity. Where do you have to go? What opportunities might you get to speak about the Lord Jesus. The ordinary opportunity taken by Jesus. Secondly, the barriers bypassed by Jesus. The barriers bypassed by Jesus. As well as being tired and it being the hottest time of day, there were at least two other barriers for Jesus to bypass to speak to this person. Now the first was a religious barrier. The Jews and the Samaritans, as some of you probably know, hated each other. Many Jewish leaders at this time encouraged absolute separation from all Gentiles, all non-Jewish people, but the Samaritans were sort of even lower on the scale for the Jews than ordinary Gentiles. That's because the Samaritans were half Jewish. The Samaritans were originally, they could trace their roots back to being part of the kingdom of Israel, uh, the chosen people of God. And after the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms after the death of Solomon, uh, ten tribes formed the kingdom of Israel, or the northern kingdom. And that was separate from the southern kingdom of Judah, centered on Jerusalem. Uh, and eventually, because of the continued idolatry and immorality, uh, God permitted the northern kingdom of Israel to be overrun, to be uh, almost completely destroyed by the superpower nation of the day, the nation of Assyria. And Second Kings chapter 17 describes how the king of Assyria brought foreigners, people from his own land and other lands, to settle in Israel. And some of the Israelites intermarried with these foreigners, these non-Jewish people, and they became known as the Samaritans. The Samaritans only acknowledged the first five books of the Old Testament as being God's word, and they made their own alterations to it. They also had their own temple. Uh, Rather than worshipping at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they worshipped in Mount Gerizim. And they also believed that a Messiah teacher, they thought of more as a teacher, uh, would come someday. According to historical sources, violence would still break out between Jews and Samaritans, even after the time of Jesus. And perhaps we can identify with that kind of sectarianism. Arguments over identity and history with a lot of man-made tradition and man-made religion thrown into the mix just to complicate things further. That was the first barrier that Jesus had to overcome. But as well as religion, Jesus had to overcome the barrier of gender. Because this is a Samaritan woman. Gender, of course, is a word we hear in our headlines almost every day. Uh, Some people would have us believe all kinds of uh, foolishness. That gender is just whatever we want it to be. It's whatever label you feel like using this particular day or week. And all of that is, of course, very harmful and damaging and misguided. But in Jesus' culture, they had sort of gone the opposite direction in extremes when it came to gender. Uh, and strict conservative Jewish men, uh, they certainly only believed in, in two genders, but they believed that those genders should have almost nothing to do with each other. Jewish rabbis discouraged Jewish men from talking even to their own wives in public. One Jewish rabbi suggested that the most absurd thing a man could ever do was to speak to a woman about the Torah, the law of God. They completely lost sight of the fact that God created us, yes, with different roles. But male and female equally image bearers of God with equal value and dignity. And so the fact that Jesus was facing these barriers comes out in verse 9. Look how the woman responds to Jesus When he asks her for a drink, you can almost hear the the startled uh, tone in her voice. The Samaritan woman said to him, verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But you see, friends, these are man-made barriers that Jesus bypasses. Jesus doesn't trample over any of God's laws here but over man's laws and foolish man-made laws. Laws which are ridiculous and contrary to the will of God. So here Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman who, as we'll see in a moment, is an outcast even amongst other Samaritans. A woman whom Jesus could have made all kinds of excuses not to speak to. Yet he engages her in conversation shows her respect, loves her enough to witness to her as readily as he would witness to anyone else. Who might our Samaritans be? Who are the last people we want to talk to? The last people we feel inclined to show friendship towards? Jesus' command is, go into all the world, making disciples of all Nations, The psalmist cries out for all people on earth to sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, the sexually immoral, the liars, the murderers, the perverted, the drunkards, the addicts, whoever, wherever, as we have opportunity, we are to remember that, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of us, or such we might be, were it not for the grace of God having intervened in our lives. And so we're to go And we're to speak to whomever, wherever, whenever. Some of you have colleagues absolutely sold out on the woke LGBT so-called progressive ideologies of our day. Some of you have family members with whom you have nothing in common. Least of all Christian faith. There may be people in our own town despised by everyone else. In some of those scenarios, we have to exercise wisdom. We have to be cautious, perhaps, about what we say and how we say it and when. But nonetheless, to these people, as well as to anyone else, friends, we're to go and we're to speak. The ordinary opportunity taken by Jesus, the barriers bypassed by Jesus. Thirdly, the problem addressed by Jesus. The problem addressed by Jesus. Uh, last week I was walking in the moors, hiking for a couple of days with some family. It's become a bit of a tradition for uh, my brother and some of our cousins. Uh, we got absolutely drenched on day one. One of those days when, even when the rain wasn't pouring down, it just felt like the very air you were breathing in was just wet. It was Monday last week, maybe some of you got soaked somewhere as well. Uh, But for this woman in the Middle East, it was the complete opposite. If If she didn't go and get the water from this well, she and her family would soon die. It was so hot. We probably don't really know, unless you've been to the Middle East or somewhere like it, what it is like to be as thirsty as people could be in that place. And yet this was a dreary task. She had to keep doing this every single day. Because her water was soon used and gone and so back to the well she would have to go. The water was good for the moment but not eternally satisfying. That's why Jesus says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water See what Jesus does here. What, what what does this woman spend most of her day thinking about? Water. She thinks about how much water she needs. What time's going to be good to go and get it. She thinks about where's the jar, which one's clean, which one's dirty. How much do I need for the family today? So Jesus uses a picture, a word with which she is very familiar. To get her attention and to eventually reveal truth about himself. He says in verse 14... The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Now he's got her interest. Look at verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Notice it's not just that she doesn't want to be thirsty anymore, friends. Notice this. She also doesn't want to come to this well anymore. Why is she coming to this well at the hottest time of the day? When no one else is around. well, We find out in verses 16 to 18. Jesus tells her to go and call her husband. She's forced to admit she doesn't have a husband. Jesus says I know you have no husband. You've had five husbands and you're with a man now. You're, the, the implication being that she's living with him. Or she's in a, a relationship with him. And you're not married to him. That's why she comes to the well at noon. To avoid the whispers and the insults in a society that would have considered her behavior no better than prostitution. This woman is living a lifestyle that just like the water she drinks is good for the moment but is not eternally satisfying. And yes, Jesus shows her respect. Yes, Jesus starts an ordinary conversation with her. But notice also, friends, how, albeit graciously, he does not shy away from highlighting her problem. She is living without peace, without satisfaction, no matter how many men she turns to. And this woman is just like so many people around us today. Maybe she's just like you. You keep turning to someone or something that is good for the moment, but not eternally Satisfying, And the thing is, regardless of what appearances people keep up, regardless of how much they might like us to believe that they're happy and fulfilled and living out their found identity, many of them are miserable. Miserable every time they have turned again to some experience, sexual or otherwise, and it's left them emptier than they were before. Miserable as they're left alone with their thoughts about what they're really doing with their lives and where it's all really going. Miserable to discover that despite a summer holiday or a new job or a new toy, they're no happier than they were before. So, listening to an interview uh, just last week with Ryan Wilson. If you haven't heard of him, he's an American actor. Uh, he was in one of the most successful American TV shows of the last fifteen or twenty years, The Office. Some of us still rewatch episodes. He played one of, the main, uh, one of the main characters and was one of the highest paid actors in the country at the time. What more could you want? Listen to what Wilson said. I spent several years in the office, mostly unhappy because it wasn't enough. I'm on a hit show, Emmy nominated every year, making lots of money, working with great actors. People love it. And I wasn't enjoying it. I was thinking about why am I not a movie star and not just a TV star? Wasn't enough. He kept going to a well every day that promised so much, and by human standards, she actually delivered a lot, but no satisfaction. What is your well? What is it that has not satisfied? Fellow Christians, if we want to tell someone about Jesus, here's where we have to take the conversation. At some point, sometime, we have to address their problem, which is the same as our problem was until we met Christ, sin. And notice, by the way, Jesus exposes her sin without even calling it sin. Not saying that uh, that is always needed, but it's interesting that that's what happens here. Jesus doesn't need to say to this woman, you're a sinner. She knows in the way that Jesus draws it out of her, you've had five husbands, the one you're with now is not your husband, what you've said is correct. She knows. This is my biggest problem. And that's why I'm, I I'm, just speak personally for a moment, that's why I'm not convinced that shouting through a megaphone during a parade is really the way to go. Those events are those people drinking from the well. Convinced for a few minutes or a couple of hours that this is it and I'm happy. It's only when they go home and they're alone with their thoughts and that awful thirst is still there in their souls that they realize the well didn't satisfy. But if we've shown someone personal love, consistent friendship and respect, there may be a time and a place for us to simply say, Do you know, you've been living this way, doing this thing, going to this well for all this time. Are you any happier? Has has it really satisfied? Or are you as thirsty as ever? Or words to that effect. And then we tell them about Jesus and what he offers. And that leads us to consider, lastly today, Jesus not distractions. Jesus, not distractions. Jesus has driven to the heart of this woman's problem. Look how she responds in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What's she doing there? She's diverting from the issue. She's so uncomfortable that she tries to get Jesus talking about something else. Some of you have experienced this. This is the person who after you've talked about Jesus and maybe even got on to sin and repentance. They say, well, you know, I think it's silly that you Christians believe in six day creationism. Or the Bible is full of contradictions anyway. Or there are so many denominations, never mind religions, so many Christian denominations. You can't even agree in what you believe amongst yourselves, you Christians. Interesting points of discussion. But also potentially distractions. Diversions. You can get to heaven regardless of your denomination. You can get to heaven regardless of whether you've been baptized at all. Never mind whether it was as an adult or as a child. You can get to heaven, dare I say it, with even a variety of views on the origins of the universe. You can't get to heaven if you don't come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. So when people try to distract or divert or make excuses, we have to graciously, patiently bring them back to the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Have you repented of sin and trusted in Jesus? Do you realise who he is and what he has done? And look how Jesus himself does this. Verse 21. This woman wants to get on to talking about uh, worshipping Jerusalem or worshipping on Mount Gerizim. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What he's saying is, this does not really matter anymore. Because he has come, of course. Jesus is preaching the good news. Jesus is the embodiment and the proclamation of the kingdom of God. So let's not get distracted with where we meet for worship next Lord's Day. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. This is the person today who says, well, do you know, at the end of the day, we can't really know for sure, can we? It'll all work itself out in the end. That's what she's saying. When Messiah comes, he'll give us the answers. What does Jesus say? Verse 26. I who speak to you am he. Jesus tells her about himself. Instead of letting her focus on distractions. Someone says to you today. How do we know that your religion is better than anyone else's? No one really knows do they? It's not like we have all the answers. Why is is one better than another? We might say. Have you ever thought about what Jesus says about that? And so what do you mean when did Jesus ever talk about all religions and whether one's good or whether one's better than the other? Well, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Not Islam, not Hinduism. Not Roman Catholicism as it is taught and preached by the Roman Catholic authorities. Not humanism. Not good personism. Jesus. We have to keep the focus on him and not these distractions. And as we do that, we should pray for the kind of change in people that we see here in this woman. Look at verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She left her water jar. Suddenly there was something even more important to be doing than drawing water. Suddenly she doesn't care what people are going to say to her what they think of her when she sees them face to face because she wants her neighbors to meet the one who says he is the messiah she's listened to Jesus spoken to Jesus trusted Jesus and then she goes to tell others about Jesus do we not long to see that happen more frequently in our midst it is happening Let's not lose sight of the fact that it is happening. People coming to Christ hundreds of thousands of times a day all around the globe. Particularly in places like Iran and China and parts of Africa and South America, India. Often despite horrendous persecution, needy sinners are being confronted with the good news about Jesus Christ. Perhaps in some cases free of the distractions and baggage of places like Northern Ireland. And the repenting and following and spreading that good news to others. We long for it to happen here. We pray for it to happen here. If God wills, it will happen here. But He's told us to go and to tell people and to be witnesses. And here, friends, our Savior shows us how to do it. Take ordinary opportunities, bypass man made barriers. In love, with care, expose the problem of sin. With hope and joy, proclaim Jesus whilst avoiding the distractions. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He has accomplished it through his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. By God's grace, may we make known that wonderful good news so that, like this woman, we would see people around us saying to one another, can this be the Christ. Amen.